One other aspect of Kubernetes is uh, it allows you to segment, um, say, the businesses that you're serving. Um, and, and what I mean by that is instead of having a what we call a single tenancy uh, application where, you know, all your clients get the same experience, the same infrastructure, the same environment, uh, it allows you to segment those um, environments. Welcome, everybody, to Season 2 of the Happy Dog Soundbites podcast. Today's special guest is John Dingler with Shadowsoft. Without any further introduction, let's just dive right into it. John, how you doing? I'm good, Ryan. How uh, are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for sharing some of your time with us today. Um, so instead of me giving you a, a big, long intro, I'd like for you to tell me a little bit more about yourself and your business. Sure, sure. So uh, my name is John Dingler, and uh, I am at Shadowsoft. We're a systems integrator. Um, we really want to focus on uh, growing, uh, you know, software companies uh, to enable them to scale the infrastructure to meet user demand. Um, whereas, you know, traditional infrastructure where you had to procure and um, you know, time-intensive uh, resourcing of, of infrastructure um, prohibited um, fast and efficient scaling. So we really uh, want to um, partner with our clients to accelerate time to market, um, avoid that expensive licensing cost, um, and moder uh, modernizing infrastructure uh, using things like containers, uh, Kubernetes, and the cloud. Oh, nice. And... So you've been doing this for, for quite a while, is that correct? I have. So um, my, my career is um, kind of focused over the last, uh, unfortunately, uh, I'm, I'm telling my age, but, uh, you know, 25 years. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the app dev space originally. Uh, and throughout my career, I, I saw um, an, an important um, focus and need to, to really recognize the business needs before the technology um, to, to make sure that the technology solutions are really meeting the, the business goals and objectives um, of the organization. Neat. And you talked about your original kind of step into this, this first introduction to, let's say, data-driven projects was in the app dev uh, world. So uh, you were an application sure. developer when you first started out, or do you want to expand on that a little bit? Sure, sure, yeah. So um, I, I was. I was basically um, – I grew up first in web web applications, and then uh, you know client server applications, and then ultimately uh, cloud and cloud native uh, applications. And so uh, my focus on data specifically was originally uh, just specific to the applications that I, were, I was developing. Uh, and back in those days, we didn't really focus more broadly to you know enterprise uh, data. Um, and then subsequently monetizing uh, data uh, was not a focus. So again, as, as mature uh, maturity around technology and, and uh, really, I think as organizations and industries understood their data more, uh, the focus was on how can they really uh, leverage their data as an asset and uh, subsequently monetize that data uh, for um, both you know, insights and gain um, you know, within the business. And that was probably invaluable for you. And you're um, going on to, you know, towards today where you're 
getting more towards the business end of things, having that developer background probably has assisted you in many ways. Sure, sure. It helps me really, you know, bridge the gap between, uh, you know, technology and, again, the business um, and, and reconciling not uh, the, the value that is required in, in, in customer uh, that's involved, um, whether it's, um, you know, an organization, a B2B, uh, a single customer. Uh, it, it really um, helps to kind of focus uh, the technology on that value. Perfect. And let's, I'm going to camp out on that just a little bit because that's uh, where I I like to um, discuss as well is is businesses that they have a solution that just is not working with them with the data that they have. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times we see this as they inherited an older piece of software that they've just ran with for a long piece of uh, a long chunk of time. Or it could be that they're just using the wrong software in the wrong kind of situation. Um, They were advised poorly by somebody who just didn't know what they were doing. Um, But eventually they'll have a need to go to a cloud-based service. So instead of having, um, let's say, their their web applications and their websites hosted on a service like GoDaddy or Namecheap or Liquid Web or something like that, where they just put it, set it, and forget it, more or less, they need to graduate to a service like, uh, let's say, Google Cloud or Amazon. So mm-hmm. in your opinion, um, I'm sure you've seen this before too, where they're kind of stuck and they need to move forward into this better setup. But what makes it a better setup? What makes Google Cloud um, or services similar to that a better service in general, let's say compared to those standard hosting platforms? Right, right. So I think it's a combination of the infrastructure and honestly the application architecture um, that, that organizations um, have traditionally built uh, their applications on and, and kind of where um, best practices is going uh, today. And, and specifically what that means is instead of, uh, again, um, spinning up uh, hardware and, and the time that it takes to procure and, and, and rack and network and uh, equip uh, the organization with folks to, to handle that infrastructure. Um, you can leverage both cloud and um, technologies such as Kubernetes uh, to make that a lot more uh, economical and a lot more efficient. Uh, again, um, going towards you know portability, flexibility, um, and productivity um, as an as an organization. Okay, and there's some people that are listening to us today to say Kubernetes. What I've never heard of that word before. What what yeah. in the world is Kubernetes? So can you um, explain a little bit more about Kubernetes and and what it can be used for? Sure, sure. So Kubernetes uh, grew out of um, a project um, that was uh, donated by Google, uh, and it first kind of uh, went mainstream within uh, what they call the cloud native uh, cloud. Foundation, which is uh, CNCF, if you've seen that. Um, and so from there, um, it kind of, uh, again, it's open source. So it kind of matured and, and grew into what it is today. And, and the value uh, of a Kubernetes, again, going back to uh, some of the things that um, were challenges before, um, it, it enables, uh, you know, portability, flexibility. Um, and what that means is, you know, 
Kubernetes can run on you know any container runtime. It can run within on-prem. It can run within the public cloud, um, a hybrid solution. Um, and and what so going back to actually what Kubernetes is, it's it basically a, a runtime, uh, a container runtime uh, that basically enables um, you know auto scaling of uh, infrastructure virtual infrastructure if you will um, to meet the, the the demands of, of the applications um, subsequently it, it also is uh, able to deploy across across uh, multi-cloud um, whether it's AWS Google Microsoft um, and then it, it it really lends itself to increased um, deployments too. So uh, organizing deployments um, into a repeatable and organized uh, process, again, for expediency uh, of deployments and efficiencies of, of resources as well. Yeah, that, that's a, a great explanation of it. And um, some practical examples of what you were talking about with Kubernetes is uh, you were talking about it, it can be used to, let's say, scale up, for example. Now, if mm-hmm. you're a company that has uh, a website or a web application that can get a sudden burst of traffic, let's say you have an e-commerce website and then Black Friday right. or Cyber Monday is around the corner and you're like, right. oh my goodness, we need this thing to scale. And that's where Kubernetes can come in handy where it can just automatically scale for you and take up more resources as needed. Um, so you're not caught in the, the most busiest time in this year that your site's going down, that Kubernetes has saved your rear end on that. Um, is that that's one example. How else have you seen um, Kubernetes practically used on like a, let's say a business to business setting? Yeah. I mean, business to business uh, setting. Um, one other aspect of Kubernetes is uh, it allows you to segment um, say the businesses that you're serving. Um, and, and what I mean by that is instead of having a, what we call a single tenancy uh, application where, you know, all your clients get the same experience, the same infrastructure, the same environment. Uh, it allows you to segment those um, environments uh, such uh, to, to where the, the each each customer specifically has their essentially their own uh, environment and it can scale accordingly as, you know, segmenting their data, segmenting their application logic um, from, say, some of your other customers that you're serving uh, from a B2B uh, perspective. Oh, very nice. And I'm sure I've seen it on your, your website that you've worked with Kubernetes. And this is something that um, I mean, you guys advertise that um, you're a Kubernetes specialist and that you've worked with it. So you guys have worked with it for many, many years, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And and so another uh, bit of information specifically about uh, Shadowsoft is um, our uh, open source roots. Uh, you know, we partnered with um, Red Hat very early on and, and subsequently other um, uh, companies and open source projects to really leverage the value of uh, open source and, and uh, how it integrates into um, you know, other applications uh, within the organization. And you talked about 
open source and basically having data that can integrate within other applications, that kind of is a good mm-hmm. segue here into the next topic I want to discuss, and it's just data in general. Uh, you've been in, you've been in business for a long time. You've seen a lot of things in your day, and you've seen, mm-hmm. I'm sure, businesses. Uh, either misuse or not take full advantage of the data that they've had at hand. So what ways have you, I'm kind of flipping this around a little bit, have you seen a business misuse or maybe maybe not take full advantage of the data that they've had? Sure, sure. So uh, I I worked with a a large company um, in the last few years that was trying to um, aggregate their application logs, their um, metrics, networking uh, information, um, and and they were doing it siloed, right? Um, and each each group within the, the organization was trying to do it their own way. Uh, and what result what resulted was um, inefficiencies and and not being able to really harness the collective value of pulling that data together. Um, to respond to, um, say, you know, scaling problems or network outages, um, that type of thing. Uh, so that was kind of a, maybe not a misuse, but kind of a um, not optimizing or um, taking a, a advantage of, of collectively um, centralizing their data. Uh, the good news is once they did, they were really able to get a... Uh, uh, overall view of their organization to where they can manage each of the pieces of uh, data um, and, and really, uh, you know, bring those together to, to paint a picture that maybe they couldn't see uh, individually. So they, they basically had a view of, hey, section A has these errors, section B has these right. errors. Right. But in general, they just had no idea because the left hand wasn't talking to the right hand. Right, right, and and really, uh, the the action was more uh, from a historic uh, perspective, and and once they started aggregating their data and and getting um, more real uh, near to real time, um, they began began to have uh, predictive. I'm sorry, predictive uh, capabilities uh, where they not only respond to their data, but they're um, forecasting and and predicting um, uh, their based on their data nice and that's um that i guess that's a feature that i've seen and i know i'm sticking primarily with google cloud here but um mm-hmm. google cloud has some services you know with artificial intelligence machine learning and have you been able to integrate any of those services into an application before uh, sure. Actually, yes. Um, so uh, there, there's tools within each of the cloud platforms, uh, you know, uh, that that do this. But essentially, what that allows you to do um, is leverage, again, the power of the cloud. Um, going back to the power of the cloud versus on-prem, um, it allows you to leverage uh, some of these uh, AI and ML um, capabilities that you you don't necessarily have within your data center or within, uh, you know, your on-prem infrastructure and and solutions. Um, And so saying all that is to say, you know, we can couple both on-prem solutions and data with the power of cloud native uh, services that really focus on this this emerging and cutting edge, uh, you know, solutions and capabilities uh, to do things that that companies couldn't do, say, you know, 10 years ago, or or was maybe even unthinkable. 
Interesting. And, and so an example of that, if you're uh, interested in, in maybe machine learning, and I'm trying to tie it together with the example that you had before, is it possible to have your server machine learn when there are going to be traffic spikes and uh, more or less predict when we might need resources even before it even happens? So let's say four Sundays in a row at 6 p.m., you get a decent spike. On that fifth Sunday, is it going to be um, able to learn that, hey, maybe we could adjust our infrastructure for that? Or, or is it set up a different way than that? No, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, there, there's different ways to do it, um, but the, the net of it is that you can uh, use you know models and al- algorithms uh, to predict um, based on the data that is being ingested, uh, and then you know going back to Kubernetes um, and you know cloud even cloud native um, uh, infrastructure, you, you can basically scale. Uh, your your applications and your infrastructure based on you know timing. Um, say you have um, more demand in the morning or in the afternoon, uh, you can you can have uh, you know scaled uh, infrastructure at different times or responding um, to a perceived trend uh, that that the um, you know that that it's learning uh, within the the machine learning uh, component. Exactly. And and what I've noticed, too, is um, if you're using Amazon or Google or any of those bigger services for these uh, uh, more enterprise level cloud setups, that they have these extra Mm -hmm. software chunks that you can kind of weave into your application. So like we had mentioned before, there's machine learning, um, there's Mm -hmm. BigQuery, and there's a a whole bunch of different Mm -hmm. um, uh, features, I guess, you can weave into what you have there. So what's... One uh, often unused feature that you've seen in one of these cloud platforms. That's an interesting uh, question. Um, hmm. I mean, so there's there's some interesting um, you know services that are emerging, like uh, you know. Uh, text recognition and um, text-to-speech, um, things like that, that maybe not necessarily are, are not being leveraged. They're just emerging. So people are trying to figure out, organizations are trying to figure out how to leverage them. Um, and, and then also just to, going back to core data, uh, the, the, um, the data um, the data platforms like in Athena or um, like you said, a BitQuery and and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, an interesting do- story, John, that I've never told you before. And, um, an application that we had built in the, the Google Cloud infrastructure, and you had mentioned text-to-speech. Well, we had a situation where there was uh, an auctioneer, and the way he operated uh, is he had an earpiece in, and before any of the work that we did, he had a a physical person standing next to him on a cell phone talking to a website operator. That way he could do mm-hmm. in-person auction. And then if something happened online, the online operator talked to the person next to him on the phone, which relayed the message right. to the in-person auctioneer. And so what we were able to do is take the web application that ran the auction software and do the text-to-speech. And so the microsecond that somebody bid on something, it went straight to the ear of the auctioneer 
and there was no lapse in time. That was a pain point was that the relay going back mm-hmm. and forth, sometimes auctions would close before people could bid and it just, uh, there was a lapse in time. And so using this uh, bit of software, they were able to, the second somebody bid on it, it went right to the auctioneer's earpiece and it spoke, uh, the new high bid is blah, blah, blah dollars. And right away he could um, announce it to the crowd there. And it was literally the crowd and people online within microseconds reacting with each other, which was uh, pretty neat. So that's that's a, that's kind of a fun story that we've had to do with uh, text-to-speech before. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And then, um, you know, just coupling on that, uh, you know, when you we get some of the capabilities of, uh, you know, speech translation, um, leveraging uh, some of these services to um, go beyond, you know, say English uh, to other other languages to, to meet, uh, you know, connect with more folks, right? More people. Yep. Yeah. And I bet you there's, you know, some larger institutions, you know, whether they're medical or um, academic or anything like that, that might have tons of PDFs and Word docs and things like that, that just sit in a folder. And you you also had mentioned the um, the text recognition that there's software that can just dive through a folder and actually allow you to search within these obscure file types in there and use that for searchable data. Is that true? Absolutely. Uh, and, and they do it for a couple of reasons, right? So uh, it could be um, validating uh, information that you submit. Uh, it could be, um, say, like in the tax industry, you know, scanning uh, tax forms to um, extract the, the information and then subsequently feed it in, in, into another system for processing. Um, and it, it could go uh, be applied to a medical, um, a medical information as well. Um, really, the the, uh, the possibilities are, are endless, in the, I think, in that regard. Cool. And you've mentioned some uh, success stories. Do you have any other um, good success stories of when a business was, quote unquote, in the dark ages and then kind of moved into this enterprise cloud uh, platform and what good it brought them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll go back to just, um, you know, over the last in my career, 20, 25 years, um, you know, the, the trend was creating applications and then adding functionality on top of functionality on top of functionality. Um, and so fast forward, say 20 years, uh, and that kind of paints you into a corner where, uh, your applications are hard to scale. It's hard to add functionality. It's how hard to remove functionality. And quite frankly, it's it's hard to to leverage new technologies um, that weren't um, weren't available when when those applications were were birthed. And so, what I've seen um, a, a lot of my uh, customers really are, are trying to to evolve from that that model and that paradigm into um, more uh, on-demand infrastructure, um, microservices, where uh, it's very targeted functionality that you can um, execute on-demand and then connect those services together to make larger applications. Um, And so the the evolution of that looks like um, basically going from that monolithic application uh, and, and as you go into the cloud to leverage the, the cloud infrastructure and the efficiencies of the cloud, um, they're, they're taking the time to really um, 
decouple those monolithic applications to where they can um, modernize uh, and, and scale faster to respond, again, to ultimately the business goals and objectives. Yep. And nine times out of 10, you scale faster, you make more profit. And that's basically, <laughs> that's kind of what it boils down and, to, which is always a good thing. And, yeah. And it's, it's not just, you know, time to market, it's, uh, you know, time to resolution. So um, uh, going back to, um, you know, CICD and, and, and integrated testing and, and those types of uh, tools within the cloud and, um, and, uh, to, to be able to respond to outages in, in uh, resolutions more quickly. Yeah, and that's also um, affects the bottom line too, because if you don't address things right away, I mean, that every minute that you're down, uh, for some companies, right. that is right. lots of money. So Absolutely. Good. That's, that's good. So I, I think we're going to transition now into uh, the fun part of the podcast. And this okay. is what I call the lightning round. So I'm going to surprise you with a few questions here. And they're just a handful of questions, okay. just getting to know you, Mr. John Dingler, a little bit better. So um, you ready for some lightning round questions? Let's do it. All right. The first one's a very easy one. What is your favorite food? Uh, my favorite food... Um... Besides anything in front of me, I'd have to say um, Mexican food, probably. Okay. Any specific uh, <laughs> like, tacos, enchiladas? Like, is there any specific kind of Mexican food? A nice, uh, you know, quesadilla. You know, obviously the chips are pretty um, uh, addictive, I guess. <laughs> okay. Last, last food question with that. Are you a guac or a no guac person? Definitely guac. Definitely guac. Okay, cool. Next question on the lightning round. If you could get anything for Christmas, what would it be? Uh, what would it be? Um, world peace. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, may maybe a, a big yacht to sail the seas on. Um, that would be nice. Okay. Next question in the lightning round. Mac or PC? Google or Apple? For those that know me, um, there is uh, definitely no question. I am a Mac uh, person for sure. Okay. Uh, uh, and so I guess subsequently um, that will lend itself to Apple versus Google. But I see obviously, obvious, um, obvious uh, you know, capabilities in Google as well. And I actually use both of them in tandem, which is an interesting uh, uh, pattern, I guess. So I, what do you mean use them both in tandem? Well, I, I like I like the uh, the the connectivity of all my devices on Apple, but I tend to use uh, you know my emails and and uh, some of the um, platforms of Google as well. Oh, neat. Okay, next question in the lightning round: Do you have a favorite movie uh -huh. or TV series? You know, um, I would have to say. Of maybe all time, I grew up in the Seinfeld and and Friends era, um, and then I understand that um, you know Game of Thrones, for instance, is a great um, series. Unfortunately, I haven't seen it, which might be a shocker to folks, but uh, it's definitely on my list. Okay, uh, what does your future hold? That's a great question. Um, if I had the answer to that, then. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I, I, I might, you know, be a, I don't know what I'd be, but, um, so what does my future hold? Uh, I have, um, you know, several kids and, you know, a, a growing family. And, um, I obviously want to focus on that, but, uh, aside from that, um, business wise, um, I'm really intrigued by where technology is going. It, it kind of reminds me of, um, a little bit of the dot-com era um, and, and watching companies um, evolve and mature from, you know, what we were talking about, right? Um, these legacy um, applications and, and um, just static infrastructure, if you will. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in, in growing and, and seeing that grow um, in, in our business. Nice. So speaking of your business, you're a representative of ShadowSoft. How do people get in touch with ShadowSoft? So um, we have a website. It's uh, shadowsoft.com. And um, we have uh, several folks that you can get in touch with. Actually, that's shadow-soft.com. And they're you know, they can contact us through our website or they can contact me directly uh, as well. Perfect. All right. Well, John, I appreciate your time. Uh, it was a great podcast. It was great talking to you and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much.